So now it's time to get to my guest, the Blue Meanie, Brian Heffron. Ding, ding, ding. And uh, folks, our guest this week is a classic example of how determination pays off, along with a few lucky breaks along the way. You know him as the Blue Meanie. Welcome, Brian Heffron. How are you, Brian? Hey, man, this is great. Uh, I'm chalking this up as a uh, bucket list moment here because I was a... I was, no, seriously, I was a fan of yours. Uh, you kept me informed on the uh, upcoming shows and all that stuff, and you're a part of my weekly routine, grow, you know, being a fan. So this is awesome. I'm happy yeah. to be here. You know, I tell you, Brian, we just missed each other. I, I left the WWF, which it was at the time, uh, uh, in 93, and your career really began starting in 94. But uh, I imagine as a kid growing up, uh, you watched that uh, that golden time uh, with the uh, the World Wrestling Federation and what was happening in the in the world of professional wrestling at the time. Oh, absolutely! I uh, I start first started watching in 1982. Uh, first match I, I I watched a show, but the only match I really truly remember is uh, Rick Martel and Tony Gurria losing the uh, WWF tag team belts to Mr. Fuji and Mr. Saito. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I was like, you know, that was the the bug that bit me. You know, when, yeah. when you. Become you know, when Spider-Man gets bitten by the spider and he becomes Spider-Man, that's the when the wrestling bug bit me and I became a wrestling fan. That Just that remembering that match and remembering a title change right off the bat. I mean, how could you not fall in love with it? And uh, the fight, we, we were talking about sports, and you know, I, I went over to my buddy's house. And I was like, hey, man, uh, you want to come over and watch the, the Phillies game? Uh-huh. He's like, I can't. He, he says, I can't. I'm watching wrestling. I go, what's wrestling? So <laughs> I'd never heard of wrestling, so I, you know, I'm seven or eight. And I go over his house and we watch that, and I've been a fan ever since. You know, and I'm still a fan to this day. Did, yeah, so you uh, uh, grew up in Philly. I mean, you've just you've all that's always been home. Uh, yeah, I was born in Philadelphia. Uh, yeah. When I was two, we moved over to Jersey for a little bit. Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I kid, no I kid, folks. Stop. Jersey's Jersey's the state where you have to pay to leave, so that's where they get all their that's where they get all their revenue. But yeah. uh, the land of but, Jersey barriers. I'm not. See, I got to stop here because I have a lot of friends in Jersey. I really so. I, I, my my favorite joke by uh, George Carlin is he says, "Yeah, it's the the uh, they call it the Garden State if you're growing smokestacks." Or the comedian used to do that where he'd hold up his arm and he'd say, you know, so so here's the map of the United States and he'd, you know, start at the tip, you know, there's uh there's Maine and come down into Rhode Island and and then you get to the armpit and he goes, and here's Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I had no choice in the matter. I I lived there till um I was twenty one. Uh well we lived in a town called Gloucester. I moved to Atlantic City for a little bit and then and when I went to train to become a professional wrestler, uh, I moved to Ohio for a year, then back to Jersey, and then back to Philly in 90, actually 94. Yeah. yeah. And if, if people know the area, I mean, that it's, it's uh, you know, out in Arizona, you can drive for hours still in open land. It's still, but back there, everything, even though you look on it and say, okay, boy, New York City's there, Philadelphia's here, but there's... There's just so much going on. I mean, you can be in three states easily. You can be in Pennsylvania and Jersey and, and you know, uh, in, during that day. I mean, you can be back and forth and even up in, in New York. And uh, yeah. there's just there's just so much happening. I mean, it's just uh, that that's just one thing I've never forgotten. I lived back there for a long time and just 
you know, I used to, uh, I worked down in Jersey. I worked in Secaucus when I worked for uh, WWOR down there. And I lived in Connecticut way up, uh, you know, further up in um, the area there. And uh, I used to be in three states every day. I would drive from Connecticut through New York over the GW and be in Jersey. And people would say, what? <laughs> but that was just a day, you know, day's commute. And I'm sure, like me, you're like a creature of habit. You stop at the same rest areas. You mm-hmm. eat at the same restaurants. And mm-hmm. that's that's the thing I, I, I loved about being on the road is just like, you know, I could drive from uh, Philly to Boston for like an ECW show. And I would have to stop at the same rest area. I would have to stop at the same restaurant. And like you said, you're going through a couple different states, Philly, Jersey, New York, Connecticut, and then Massachusetts. Yeah. And wrestling wise and wrestling wise uh, back then uh, that you you could uh, get a lot of work if just doing that circuit. There was always something going on between those states. And I imagine uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. But since, you know, we're talking about uh, being on the road in that area uh, for wrestling, when you're starting out, uh, you could pretty much find work, at least back then, uh, in several places. Oh, absolutely. There's always some kind of show. And, uh, when I first started out, uh, I was living in Ohio for a little bit with Al and mm-hmm. he was helping me get, he was helping me get bookings and all this stuff. But he eventually said, you know, you've been here for like a year. I've been helping you, but to truly appreciate, you know, getting work, go back East and start hustling and get your own bookings. And like, like you said, I would just show up to shows, you know, yeah. I'd go to Jersey, I'd go to Baltimore, I'd go to West Virginia, I'd go back out to Pittsburgh, I would drive out to back at the, out to Detroit for a show, just, you know, to keep moving and, you know, hopefully something would break here or there, you know, and just doing a circuit, you know. Yeah, working and for typically, that- yeah, and I would imagine typically a, a 10, 12 hour drive to try and for a gig, I mean, you do it, right? Oh, I, I, I just did it, uh, last August. I, I drove it. <laughs> I, I hadn't done a good road trip in a while. So, uh, I was doing the Starcast convention out in uh, uh-huh. Chicago all in weekend. I was like, you know what, let me just get a rental car and we'll drive out. Mrs. Me and Mrs. Meany and Joel Gertner just got in the car and drove out. And along the way, I, like I said, I stopped in, uh, the same rest stops. I made a pit stop in Lima, Ohio where I trained to wrestle because they, they have like one of the oldest burger joints in the country there. And I was like, you know, what? I'm driving to Lima. I'm going to have a burger. Then we're going to drive through Indiana. Then we'll drive to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it was such, it was such an awesome, just, I, I love just being behind a wheel with an open highway and a radio and good company, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, and, uh, and so let's say, cause you did mention all those, uh, those places and, uh, that pretty much, I mean, it was like you're traveling back in history, um, yeah. when you, uh, got started in, in 94 and I, and I think that, uh, it was basically through correspondence with somebody. And then you, she's, uh, the person said, Hey, uh, you got to check out the school with Al Snow. How, how did that all come about and, uh, and how you ended up in, in, in Lima, Ohio? <laughs> uh, it, well, this is back in the day when, uh, I used to subscribe to the, uh, Dave Meltzer's newsletter mm-hmm. and he would have like there, a course. Yeah, the dirt sheet, brother. <laughs> he uh, he had a little uh, correspondence section, and uh, there was a uh, I think for the Malenko School down in Florida. Mm-hmm. So I I wrote, you know, hey, can I get some information? And this uh, woman named Phyllis Lee replied, and uh, Phyllis Lee, who uh, is pretty much a dead mother for a lot of the, the wrestlers, 
she uh, replied and we just had to start, had this like correspondence going back and forth for like a year. And then we started talking on the phone and I was going to go to the Malenko school down in Tampa, but it just seemed like the cost of living was a little bit much. It was like for like a one bedroom apartment, it's like 600 a month. And I'm like, I'm thinking I'm trying, I overthink sometimes. And we you know, I, you know, when you figure bills and all that stuff, but she was like, Hey, you know what? There's this uh, school in Ohio. It's the, uh, same amount of tuition. Uh, have you ever heard Al Snow? And I was like, and, and this is right when Al was starting to have his hot feud with Sabu. And everybody's talking about Al Snow versus Sabu. I was like, yeah, I've heard of Al Snow. And uh, she's like, you know, he's got a school. He, you can live in the school. So, uh, and I think the rent was like 150 a month. So on blind faith from a woman I've never met just through letters and phone calls, I sent her my, you know, couple grand tuition <laughs> hoping that this was like, legit and uh i drove out to lima ohio the day after wrestlemania 10 and um <laughs> and, and it's weird i remember things in my life according to wrestling events the day that i watched wrestlemania 10 went to bed woke up the next morning packed up my car and drove out to see uh al snow in lima ohio and that 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 story itself could be you know it, it was like a the road trip from Tommy boy, you know, where yeah, really. the, my windshield wiper flew off at one point, my alternator <laughs> died. Yeah. I had every, and being a kid, you know, first time away from home, I literally packed my whole bedroom into my car. Cause not knowing I was only going to need like certain things. I was like, no, nah, I got to take everything with me. Mm. So it's just like, I, I pulled up and, uh, it's like going to college, you know, <laughs> Some people, uh, you know, save up to go to medical school. I saved up to go to pro wrestling school. And it, and it was like going to college in a sense because uh, Al the, had his school, Body Slammers uh, School, and uh, had a very unique school because you could actually live there, which uh, must have been a lot easier for people, people who would come because uh, obviously they probably didn't have a lot of money. And Not you're right there around people that uh, are trying to do the same thing you are. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 you said it, the setup was really interesting. What made it really interesting is his school was set up in that old Masonic temple. Uh, the, mm. And it, it was like a six or seven story building. We had the top two floors mm. and uh, you take an elevator ride up. <laughs> and once you, you walk out to the lobby, you could go to the right. There's a, like a, Common area where there's couches and the TV. Go a little further to the right, there's a kitchen area. But if you went straight ahead, there would be where the ring was, and it was like this auditorium that the uh, Masons would have. You know, do whatever Masons do. You know, whatever. There's like a stage. There's a balcony. There's bleachers, and I, everybody would remark that it looked like a miniature Manhattan Center. You know, like wow. you know shrunk to size, you know, yeah. but, uh, there's another hall of, you know, bedrooms. Then there was Al's office and stuff like that. So I had a room like right off where the ring was. And I was fortunate because, you know, uh, you know, you know, a lot of the students would come down from Detroit, come down from Canada, come over from Pennsylvania. And I lived there. And then Al would have like two a days. He would do a, a morning session for if he could only do morning and he would have a night session if you could only do nights, like if somebody had a job and, you know, stuff like that. 
but I would do the morning and the night sessions. So I got to work with a whole bunch of different type of people. And, uh, you know, that was like five days a week, you know, twice a day. And then if Al had a a booking, uh, we wouldn't practice that day, but I would go on the road with him and get a feel for what it's like to, you know, travel, you know, to be a professional wrestler. And, And a lot of times, a lot of people don't realize this. Some of the best lessons you can have are on the car ride, you know, just talking about the business. So there's a lot of things I thought I knew. And then I talked to Al and he, he would like set me straight and go, nah, that's, that's not how it is. <laughs> you know? So it, my time there, I, 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 I went there basically from March of 94 to March of 95, almost a year to the day. And mm. it, it was like one of the coolest times of my life, you know? Yeah, and it's amazing that you you know you went there with no idea. I mean, you you could have gotten there and it could have been an empty warehouse uh, somewhere, yeah, and yet uh, you meet Al Snow, and uh, he becomes a great mentor to you. And, yeah. and really, uh, who knows what else what might have happened or not have happened if somehow fate didn't lead you to his door. Yeah, I mean, even to this day, I consider him. He's like the big brother I never had. Yeah. You know. Uh, I was there, you know, I was living at the school, his family, you know, during, you know, Easter, they would bring me over an Easter basket, <laughs> you know, they would have me over for dinner. So they knew yeah. I was this kid who I, I was scared, you know, you know, <laughs> and the funny thing is, you know, I'd heard of Al Snow, but I'd never seen Al. Uh-huh. So like I pull up to the school, I go up the elevator, I go, hi, I'm looking for Al Snow. He goes, hi, I'm Al. I have oh, to leave. boy. <laughs> He, he goes, hi, I'm Al. I have to leave right now. I'm going to go by, you know, padding for the ring. So yeah. I was like, hi, hi. And he left and he went, he was driving up to Dan Severin's uh, place to get like this, uh, the foam for the, the ring padding. And I'm just sitting there with the other students. And I'm just like, all right, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But now uh, what? <laughs> now what? Yeah. yeah. And, and, I mean, and there's a lot of interesting characters. You thought, you know, I wish they, you know, when they did tough enough, if they did tough enough at Al school, they would have had a pretty interesting, uh, yeah, really? yeah, there's just one guy named, uh, Pete, the pirate. That was his gimmick <laughs> name. And he was like, Hey man, you want to see me practice my ring, my ring, uh, entrance? I was like, Oh boy. <laughs> gotta <laughs> like, see this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry guys. I gotta go back to Atlantic city. Uh, I'll be yeah. right back, you know, but I was so, like you said, I was so fortunate that, I got this opportunity and it, it just turned out right because I've heard horror stories of people, you know, paying, giving you know, somebody five grand to show up next day in the, at an empty warehouse, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, not only was I fortunate enough to have Al Snow as a trainer, but when, you know, I got to work with him in ECW, I got to work with him in WWE. So he's always been a constant in my life and uh, I'm very fortunate that he's still in my life. So when you showed up there, uh, how, how big were you then? Uh, were you a big kid? I don't know what kind of a athletic background you had. Uh, uh, not much. Uh, I grew up uh, a severe asthmatic. Uh, mm-hmm. every, every spring and every fall, I'd have to spend at least two weeks at a time in the hospital uh, just because my lungs were so bad. And, uh, wow. you know, they would have a, at some points, they would have to put an oxygen tent over my bed and, uh, have me breathe in the medicine or I'd have an IV, you know, full of, you know, pumping me full of prednisone and stuff like that. And, uh, mm. so when I told my family, I want to be a professional wrestler, they're like, Oh, that's cute. You know, that's, yeah. that's, yeah. yeah, whatever. 
And then like the, I said the day after WrestleMania 10, I'm, I'm driving off and they're like, oh, I guess he's serious, you know, but, uh, I, well, did I you really, grow out of it? What, what happened uh, with the asthma? Yeah. Uh, growing up in Atlantic city, uh, I, I would go to the doctors like once a week. Mm-hmm. And then eventually that doctor says we found a, a lung specialist over in Margate, New Jersey, uh, Dr. Altamarino. And I started going to see him and then they properly diagnosed my, my asthma. Cause a lot of it was allergy triggers related. Uh-huh. So they had to like do the thing where they poke holes in your arms and they do little drops to see what you're allergic to and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they've got me on the right medication. And then like, you know, this is like, eighth grade, ninth grade, I started actually getting better and better. And I have to, I, I weaned off my asthma medication. I still had an inhaler, but mm-hmm. you know, uh, eventually towards the end of high school, I was actually feeling like I could play in all the other kids reindeer games, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, uh, you know, going to Al's, I really didn't have that much, you know, athletic background. I tried out for the football team, but I was allergic to the field. You know, (laughs) I tried to play basketball and I I have no, I had no coordination. So, Mm -hmm. and and I would have went out for the wrestling team, but my sophomore year at Lancey high school, they got rid of the program. So, uh, you know, when I get, when I went, when I went to Al, I was like a a fresh piece of clay just for him to mold. And 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 so how, what what was your size? I I mean, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Were you heavy then? Were you, uh, you know, in good shape? I, I was, I was, I'd like to say I was built like a Terry Gordy kind of just like a big, big, oh, okay. boy, big boy. I, I really never really worked out because I'd never had anybody to pro- show me how to properly do it. You know, like even when I go to the gym now, I'd rather try something, have somebody, you know, watch me do it because I could do something a hundred times, but if I'm doing it wrong, I'm just going to get injured. So, you yeah. know, I, you know, when I got to Al, you know, he showed me know properly how to like you know work out and stuff like that and and like at the point of reference like uh when i first got there we had to do something with the ring where you know we had to take these beams up from the bottom floor always six floors up to to help rebuild the ring Mm -hmm. and i'm just gassed out and i'm falling against the wall and all that stuff a couple of like two months later we had to do the stack thing same exact exact same thing mm-hmm. and i'm just like gingerly running up the steps you wow. know and i was like he's like i was like you notice something i was like well he's like you're not out of breath i was like oh wow yeah. it just happened it's organically just happened to where i got in better shape you know but i was like i was maybe like well i'm gassing you in the ring every day probably helped and uh <laughs> yeah, yeah doing two days and stuff like that yeah. Yeah. And, you know, doing rope drills and just running, running me around until, you know, it got to the point where I, I could go and, you know, still steadily breathe, you know? Well, and so were you, did you discover that you, you were pretty athletic and, and, uh, when did you develop the, the moonsault? Was it along this, this period of time then, or did that come later? That's that, the, it's so funny. The moonsault is just like something I, I, I obsessed with ever since I saw the great Muda. Mm-hmm. I was like, I would like back when VCRs were a thing, I would record yeah. wrestling and then just, I'd watch his match. I rewind the moonsault and rewatch it like over and over and over and over. And then when I was a kid, I would, you know, try to do it into a pool. I was like, you know, I can't get hurt doing it here. I do it yeah. off the ladder 
And then I would stand on the corner of the pool, like it was the top of, like it, I was standing on the top rope and I would do it, you know, off the corner of the pool into the pool. And then, uh, <laughs> I probably shouldn't even say this. Like, uh, I went to a, a, a fan convention once, uh, up in, uh, Bristol PA or something like that. Ben Salem, Pennsylvania, Dennis Corluzo was running the show and he had a convention where if you paid 10 bucks, you could get in the ring for like five minutes with your buddy and have a match. Mm-hmm. So, and, and like all these, you know, they had that tables where everybody's signing. There's Sabu, there's Ted DiBiase, there's Roy Warrior Hawk. And I go up, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try the moonsault. So I climb up, I get up and the crowd, you know, like all the fans are like, what's this kid doing? And I, I get there and it's like, I'm up here now. I can't just climb down. Everybody's like, looking. I yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's sink or swim. So I yeah, did yeah. it and I, I actually did it pretty decent, but I landed right on my face. Ooh. And that's, that's like right when I learned the art of no selling, I was like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, I, I meant to do that. I, yeah, yeah, I looked like the guy who had to. I looked like the guy who had the Acme anvil laying on his head. <laughs> so I finished it, and everybody's like, "You okay? You nuts?" And my one friend said Ted DiBiase was at his merch table looking, and when I did it, he just like put his hand over his face and like wiped his face, like, "Oh no!" I was like, <laughs> so that was my first time doing the moonsault, but uh, you got that. <laughs> yeah, it got better. I got better. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Al Snow had a, a crash pad at his school, which mm-hmm. uh, you know, like it was like two feet deep, so I could do anything off that and not mm-hmm. get hurt. But I would do it, you know, practice off the uh, you know top rope onto the crash pad, and then he had this uh, practice dummy, uh, like it was like a martial arts dummy, mm-hmm. but like he, he would put it there so so you could practice dropping elbows, dropping legs. So I would practice doing the moonsault, and then eventually he pulled the crash pad away and say, "All right, now do it without the crash pad." And that was like probably the hardest thing I ever had to do was, "All right, here we go." And I, I did it the first time, and it just became like second nature, yeah. you know. And I was always influenced by guys like you know Muda, but then I saw you know Bam Bam Bigelow do it, okay. then I saw Vader do it, I saw uh, uh, Bill Demott do it. And it's just like, man, these these bigger guys are doing it. I, I would love to be able to do it. And you know, I, it just became, actually, it became the thing that got me noticed for ECW because I was doing a show in uh, Pittsburgh and I did the moonsault. I did a moonsault miss because uh, the other guy was going over and uh, Raven had been watching my, Raven happened to watch my match that night and uh, he were, hanging out at the promoter's house after the show. He goes, Hey man, that was a good match. Uh, it's a nice moonsault there. I was like, Oh man, he watched my match. Ooh, you know? Yeah. So I was like, you know, and I, I loved Raven cause, because I loved, you know, his character. I loved his psychology. I've been a fan of him all the way back to, you know, the global wrestling federation where Scotty Anthony. He always mm-hmm. enter- entertained me. So, and uh, I also knew he, uh, he was friend friendly with the woman who got me into wrestling, Phyllis Lee. So, that was kind of my end too, to, you know, talk to Scotty and, uh, you know, the moonsault basically helped, you know, get me noticed and made my career. Yeah. Launched your career in a sense there. And, and, yeah. uh, and, and Scott had, had, uh, something to do with that. But before we get to that, that, uh, uh, launch into the ECW, uh, you know, you said, you mentioned you stayed a year 
with Al. At what point did he come to you? Was there a day he said, you know, son, you're ready? Uh, and then he said, here, we're going to have your first match. How did that transition go, and go from, okay, you're in school, uh, now you're ready to uh, become a professional? It, it was just like, uh, it was a moment where he, uh, he had just started working for Smoky Mountain. And uh-huh. uh, he, he came back and he's like, man, he, he came back one uh, weekend from a Smoky Mountain loop. And he was like, hey, man, hey, you've been here for a while now. Like, you know, people come and go, but nobody yeah. actually lives there. And he was uh-huh. like, you know, I, 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 I think you're, you're good enough to, you know, have matches on your own or, you know. And it's good that I've been getting you these bookings because I would work for Dan Severn. I would work for Sabu. I'd work mm-hmm. in Indianapolis, Indiana for Mike Samples. Or I'd do a show in Kentucky here and there. He's like, I'm getting you these bookings, but it, it would really benefit you if you just went out into the world and just hustled and made your own way. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? You're right. So uh, It's time. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I uh I did. I was doing every Thursday. I was wrestling in Indianapolis, Indiana. So I was finishing up with the, that promoter. So I drove from Lima, Ohio, to Indianapolis, Indiana, which is like three hours. Drove back to Lima, Ohio. Loaded my car at like three in the morning, and then I started driving from Lima, Ohio, back to Atlantic City. So I got home like maybe two, two the next the next afternoon. So. Uh, and then I, I got home. I was like, let me start seeing who's in the area. I would send out, I was look again, thanks to Dave Meltzer and his uh, correspondence section. There was like different promotions. I would tell, Hey, uh, we're having you know tryouts here. We're having a show there, here and there. And I would just show up to shows. And I was a, the one thing Al always taught me, always have your gear with you. Yeah, always show up, yeah. always have your gear, but keep it in the, in the trunk of the car, you know, yeah. walk in. I would walk in, introduce myself to everybody, find a promoter who could say, hi, uh, my name's Brian. Uh, I've been wrestling for a little bit now. I understand you probably have a full card, but if there's an opportunity, uh, I have my stuff in the car. And a lot of times that guy would get me on shows because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I would go to a Dennis Corluzzo show in Jersey and go, ah, so, so stuck in traffic. ain't going to be here. Hey, Meanie, uh, hey, Brian, go grab your gear. Uh, you're on third. Yeah. I would go grab my gear, throw it on and go have a quick little match. And, and he would remember me the next time I came by and do that. So like, thank God Al didn't, you know, you know, make me, cause a lot of promoter, a lot of teachers, yeah. when they teach you, they want you to stay in their nest. They don't want you right. to, yeah. you're going to you're, go you're, you're, you're a revenue stream for them too. Yeah. 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 I've, I've heard stories where, Hey man, I, I would like to do the show, but so and so doesn't want me to work for so and so. And then yeah. I was like, no, please go out in the world, find you know, because you know, and that that was a big vote of confidence too. Because not only uh, I tell all these kids, you know, like uh, I help out here and there. I tell these kids, you are your own business. Yeah, whatever whatever your name is, whoever whatever you call yourself, like I'm my business is I'm the Blue Meanie. And I'm a subsidiary of whatever promotion I'm working for. But when Al sent me out to the world, I was Brian Heffron. I was wrestling as Brian Rollins, but I was a representative of Al Snow. Right. So, so whatever I did reflected on Al's teaching. So for him to say, I think you're good enough to go out and represent me, you mm-hmm. know, and 
you know, that, that meant the world to me, you know, and it, it didn't really click that how much that meant until, you know, you know, later on, you know, and, and then they, I always see, you know, other people, you know, like mess up and then people like, Hey, you know, I would see somebody screw up and they would always go to the guy's trainer and go, Hey, what's up with your, your guy here yeah, with your boy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that, and, that really is a reflection on them. And so uh, yeah. for them to have you go out and say, you know, it's time I want you to, and it makes them look better. It, it's good. It helps their business. But yeah. not everybody gets that vote of confidence or gets, you know, uh, something like that without it. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I guess you look back on that now, but that's exactly what that was then. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't know where I would be without Al, you know, yeah. just, I mean, I took my first bump. I wanted to quit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially I if you I got did. somebody who's stretching you and that's, that's part of the business. Yeah. Yeah. But like he would come up and go, all right, what's wrong? And then he would like talk me off the ledge and I'd go mm -hmm. back in the ring and try it again. And I would nail it, you know, yeah. because, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, uh, the, the vote of confidence meant everything. Yeah. And getting out there. And that's, as I mentioned, when we started the conversation that, you know, a, a few, uh, breaks along the way, a few lucky breaks. And, uh, yeah. that happened when you, uh, hooked up, uh, went to see, I think a, a Norm Connors show or something. And that's where you met Scott, yeah. uh, yep. Yeah, that that kind of just that was fate too. I mean, that you, you, if that connection wouldn't have happened, uh, who knows? You know, it's like I'm sure you would have made it somewhere, but that that launched you early. Yeah, uh, that while I was living at Al's, yeah. uh, we we had a a student uh, Ray Roberts, and he was running shows in Pittsburgh, and he had me on his show in Pittsburgh, and that's where I, I went and met Norm Connors, mm. and now Norm Connors ran Steel City wrestling in Pittsburgh and uh he took a liking to me so like when I moved back to Atlantic City I would still you know do his shows but there was like a, a, a series of three shows there we, I did a show in Baltimore for MEWF and then I did a show in West Virginia for a guy named Tyler Cates and then that Norm Connor show uh Raven and Stevie Richards were on those shows consecutively mm -hmm. So I met, you know, Raven and Stevie on the one show. And then on the second show, I start, you know, I hit up, hit up, you know, Stevie, we're just talking, you know, we're, we're having it. We had a rapport, you know, we we're getting along. So when we, I went to do the show for Norm in Pittsburgh. And the funny thing is like, I didn't have a car at the time. My car died. So I called up Norm. I was like, Hey man, I know you got a couple shows this weekend. You don't even have to book me. I'm just coming out to hang out. You know, mm -hmm. is it? He's like, yeah, come on out. So I took a Greyhound from Philly to Pittsburgh. His roommate, his roommate picked me up. We went to the show. He's like, you know what? He threw me a bone. He, he put me on, you know, the first night and uh, gave me. You know, I wrestled. I wrestled as uh, Brian Riles. I wrestled this guy doing a Batman gimmick. The guy was like, the guy's in a full Batman regalia. I was like, and the funny thing is, I had the little chin hair, so I looked like King Tut from Batman. Oh so, yeah, the yeah, old so, show. Yeah. 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 So I did that match. And, uh, you know, like I said, you know, we stayed, I was hanging out at the promoter's house and Raven and Stevie came over to promoter's house and we hung out. And the next day we went to lunch and Raven, we're having Chinese food and Raven goes, Hey, uh, we've been thinking of this idea for Stevie. Uh, we, you know, he's my lackey and I, we want to have, want him to have his own lackey. We want, we want this big yeah. guy to wear, we want this big guy who could wear a half shirt and Daisy Dukes and, at the time, Stevie had this friend uh, who 
made me look like his friend was so big. He, I looked like sky low, low next to him. He was like, he's like, he, he's big, but he can't move. But I, I saw you at your matches and I see how agile you are and you could do the moonsault and all that stuff. Would you want to do it? I was like, I, I was like, will I be an ECW? He goes, yeah, I goes, yeah, absolutely. Good. He's like, you're going to, you're going to have to wear a half shirt and Daisy Dukes. I went, I don't care. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I don't care. I don't care. You paint my whole body blue. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. You know, and that just, if something told me to take a trip to Pittsburgh and it just, for whatever reason, it just worked out the best for me. You know, just, and sometimes in, you got to let instincts take over as well. You know? Yeah, you know, and, and uh, as far as a place to go, and, and, and I don't know of people looking back, and maybe it was just this tremendous accident of collision of humans, I don't know, with ECW, but uh, it, it had everything. And, and it was kind of the place that people went to that maybe, you know, weren't ready for any kind of a big promotion, but that was a big stage, and what a, what a great place to develop. Uh, what was the ECW like when you were there? Uh, well, the cool thing is I was a fan of ECW before I actually got mm. to work there. So if you watch some of those early shows, you might see me in the crowd. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then when I went to train with Al and I would also schedule my trips home around ECW arena shows, you know, I would go, I'd tell my grandma, Oh yeah, I'm coming to visit you. But you know, I was really coming home to watch ECW. So <laughs> I would, you know, right. schedule that. But then once I got to actually be a part of ECW, uh, it was like the coolest thing because I did the thing where I debuted giving uh, Steve Richards a flock of seagulls T-shirt, and that, that and when I gave him the shirt, you know, as a goof, yeah, like he calls me over the the, the railing. So I look at that that view of me going over the railing into the ring as like my baptism, my baptism into you know actually making it and being an ECW, but. That it was, I tell I tell people ECW is one part the movie Slapshot. Oh, I it's, love that movie. It's one part, it's one part Rocky Horror Picture Show, and it's one 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 part Major League. Oh, you know, it, it's just it was just the greatest atmosphere to be in because it was like all those kids that you would all get to sent to uh, in school suspension with. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine what that backstage was like and, and with the, you know, Heyman there. And it, it just seemed like, you know, a factory for, uh, you know, people developing and being creative. They, like they had a free reign to say, All right, well, try it. Let's see if how it works. Because uh, and what a, a great way, especially if you're a young wrestler, to be yeah. in that atmosphere and then watching some of these other guys that were there that, uh, you know, Taz, I think, was there then and. Uh, Tommy Dreamer and uh, a lot of these other guys that uh, it must have been really an awesome place to be. And especially I had only been in the business a year and a half. Yeah. So to go from learning from Al, which was a blessing to, you know, floundering here and there on the Indies, but then going to the locker room where you have several learning trees to pick leaves from, you know, yeah. uh, you know, especially being around, you know, Scotty Raven, I mean, you had no choice but to learn because, you know, me and him would, we would be driving to shows and he would just bounce ideas around and you're, and to listen to Raven call a match in the back, you get a good sense for timing. You got a good sense for why to do something and a reason for why not to do something. And, you know, and, and, you know, to build up 
you know, cues for the match. You know, if somebody's going to do a run in and stuff like that, look for this and stuff like that. So I was learning from Raven. I was learning from Dreamer. I was learning from Paul. Uh, I was learning from Taz. I was mm. learning from, you know, I was learning from Sabu. You know, I'd worked for Sabu in Michigan and he was using primarily El Snow students because everybody, you know, everybody else had, there's the same town was on all these different shows, but like I got to learn from Sabu and uh, to go over to ECW and learn from them there, you know, it was just a continuation of something I, I'd already done. But, uh, but it, I mean, it was, it was such a cool learning experience, but it was pretty laid back too, where, mm-hmm. you know, I, I never been in an environment. I'm trying to, it's like, it's like everybody rooted for each other. You know, mm-hmm. everybody, everybody wanted to be the best match on the show. Everybody wanted to do the right business for the show, but they're also there watching other matches. Like I would come back from a match and like say, Tommy rich would pull me aside and go, Hey, that was a good match, but here's what you could have done better. You know, mm. stuff like that, where if you were in another company, they, they would just let you drown. You know what I'm saying? You know, some places would just like, aha, he screwed up, but that means I'm going to do better. But no, in ECW, if one person did good, then everybody did good. So everybody made sure that the younger guys, you know, learned what to do because if one did good, we all did good. If we all did good, you know, you know, it was, we were like a band of brothers, you know? Yeah. And, um, you, you mentioned what an influence, uh, Scott Levy was, uh, Raven was to you. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you look at him and he's such a unique individual. I think that's what was part of his success because he wasn't the biggest guy in the world. Wasn't the, you know, doing these incredible moves. It was just like this whole psychology thing he had going. But what what do you think it was from the, your viewpoint? Uh, why he was able to have that period of time where he was so successful? Just uh, he he was a student of the game. He mm-hmm. uh, was kind of, like uh, I remember going over his house and we would just watch old tapes. He would just study. You know, uh, he would study what Paul Jones would do. He would study what, you know, uh, uh, Miguel Perez would do or uh, Al Perez or something like that. Because he, he, he would work in Portland. He would work all these different places. But he kept the tapes and he would watch and study and learn. And, you know, if something worked before, he would modernize it, you know, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, But he, he, he had so many different influences from wrestling to music to movies. You know, he, he, you know, Scotty, if you could, you could talk to Scotty about anything really from, you know, you know, you know, war stories to, you know, aliens or whatever, you could talk to him about anything because he's just so, he's a, he's such a hodgepodge of knowledge <clears throat> that, you know, he, he draws in all those different things and translates it to, to wrestling. He's like the Rosetta Stone, you know, you know. I, I could take this thing I heard in a, a song. He would take a song lyric and work it into a promo or take a song lyric and work it into a, a real life angle or, you know, something like that. You know, just the influences were all around him and he would just, you know, take them in and just, you know, make it, make it ECW, you know? Yeah. And it, I think it really comes down to is, and I think that it's, it's an element that we're missing a lot more today is, is, and I think it's more because they move uh, storylines so uh, quickly along now because of they have so many different pay-per-view events and that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah. but that's, that seems to be something that's, that's, uh, lacking now. 
And I think that that was part of Raven's success because you mentioned all these things he would draw from, but to him, it was about storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's such a great storyteller, mm-hmm. you know, and I, you know, getting in the business, I, you know, I was green as goose, goose poop, mm-hmm. but like, uh, he, I, I, I could recognize his psychology. He would do so much more with such, he did more with less, you know, mm-hmm. he would let things, you know, he would do something, but he would let it breathe. Mm-hmm. Or if he went to hit with the DDT, he paused for a second to get people to, you know, absorb what he was doing. Like I always learned from the one thing I learned from Al Snow is whatever you do, the fans are like three steps behind because they mm-hmm. see it. They, and then, they, you know, it's like one, two, and then they, right. you know, re- react to it. But you see Raven do something. You see him give it that pause just for the fans to like absorb it. And then he would do it and the crowd would re- react the way he would want them to react because they didn't have to go. It didn't go so quick to where they were like, Oh, what did I just see? What did I just miss? He would let things breathe in the ring. And, you know, he was always, you know, he was always reading. He was always doing different things to, you know, bring into his character that, uh, you know, that's why he's one of the most underrated characters in, in wrestling. I, you know, in my opinion, well, he'd also push the envelope too, and he would just go as far as yeah. he, you know he could push it. Maybe for his own amusement, I don't know, but but yeah. uh, you know, like the the whole the crucifix thing, it was just so yeah. controversial. And I think to this day, he still thinks like, what? It was an angle. It was a, you know, it was an angle. We, it's okay. So you know what? But uh, but I think that was part of what he was willing to do that. And 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 yeah. if you aren't willing to, you're not going to reach those heights because you've got to be different. Yeah, he, he, he even he, like later on, he would even joke. He's like, instead of the crucifix, I was going to do the uh, Star of David, but I was afraid he was going to roll away. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so, so, yeah. He was yeah. so unapologetically, right. unapologetically yeah. you know, that like he, he he thought he was right, and and maybe to agree he was, but I could see where people would have been offended too. You know, that was like because I was there. I was I was the one who helped put you know, Sam in on the, the cross and tie them up. And yeah. that was the, like one of the first times that like, like the crowd made no noise. Like uh-huh. they usually go, yay, boo, whatever. Oh, yeah. But they're, you put them up silence, the silence. And you're like, you're, for a second you go, am I deaf? You know, again, <laughs> how come I can't hear anything, you know, but you turn around and people are just like, wow. You know? And then when you get back to the locker room, you know, you got some of the boys eyeball and you're like, man, that wasn't cool. You know? So, you know, even, you know, not, we didn't hit home runs every time, but you know, we, we took a swing and it missed, but. Well, yeah. And if you don't, but, uh, uh, it, it seems like a lot of your, uh, part of your career was, was comedic. Uh, you had kind yeah. of this, you know, to, edge to your, your characters, and uh, nowhere was that more apparent than when you guys did the Blue World Order, with, which was a spoof. Um, mm-hmm. How did that all come about? And uh, was it something you guys said, "Hey, we'll just do it for tonight, and we'll see what happens"? Or was it? Did you guys have a plan? Hey, you know, this might we might have a good run with this. It, it, it spawned from again. It spawned from Raven. Uh, you know, because we had, had we had been doing parodies for a little while, uh, mm-hmm. and when I was first when, when Raven first gave me the blue mini character. He kind of wanted me to be more like the character from the movie. And, but then when we started doing the parodies, it's when more of my own personality started to come out, you know, uh, growing up, I was, you know, my loves were music, 
professional wrestling and stand-up comedy. And mm. my favorite comedian of all time is George Carlin. And if there's anybody who's been as expressive, you know, facially and, you know, verbally with, you know, yeah. cadence and all that stuff is George Carlin. So I yeah. adopted some of his stuff into my character. But, uh, you know, I tell everybody all the stuff I do is the blue media stuff I used to get in trouble for in grade school, you know. <laughs> The teacher would send my report card home. You know, Brian keeps making fart noises in class. Please ask him to stop. You know, so I was like, "Here I am getting paid for it." But uh, I know I got on a sidetrack there. But like, uh, well, but it's all part of it. That's it's how it all, that character came to be. So that's yeah. it's interesting to me. Yeah, we're 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 riding with Raven, and he came up with the idea for me and Stevie to start calling ourselves the Fabulous Ones, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, like the you know Stevie and Stan, and we did it as a goof. And the way the crowd reacted, they were like, oh, we got to do some more. So we yeah. became like, we became the, instead of blue bloods, we're the blue meanie bloods where <laughs> I was, he, Stevie was the uh, Lord Stevie Richards. And I was the Earl of eating. Yeah. You know? And then, uh, we went, I, if there's any one that was as close to the BWO as in popularity is like the time we came out as kiss. Cause, uh, <laughs> kiss was doing there is like 96 and kiss was just coming back with their, uh, original lineup and they put the makeup back on and you know we we're like you know we did it one, the night before and uh at the lulu temple in uh plymouth meeting pennsylvania and we we're like oh we got to do this at the arena so we did it at the arena and it got a huge ovation but then it got to the point where you're like okay what's next and uh we were doing stuff in wrestling i was blue dust and stuff like that we we're like well the hottest thing in wrestling right now is the, the nwo the new world order and I was, again, I was talking to Al Snow and I was like, you know, we're just talking. I was like, yeah, we're thinking about doing the new world order. I think we should call it the blue world order, you know, instead of the, the blue guy, the bad guy could be the blue guy. And also, yeah. and and Al popped, you know, for some of the stuff I was pitching to him. I was like, you know, I've got to pitch some of the stuff to Stevie and Raven. So that weekend I, I went up to Stevie and Raven. I was like, I know we're talking about the new world order, but uh, how about this and that? And, you know, we went and got uh, the shirts done up in uh, November, remember, 96 is uh-huh. when, we, when we first did it. And it was going to be a one-night thing, just like every other parody we've done. Uh-huh. But that, the crowd reaction and just like the, the noise that came, you, you judge everything by how the crowd reacts. And the crowd reacted. And when we got back to the locker room, Todd Gordon was like, yeah, I think we're going to do that a couple more yeah. times. <laughs> that again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I think we're going to get shirts done up. So, and they said, uh, like, I would talk to the people who did the merch and they said, ECW, any ECW show, they would sell like 200 of those BWO shirts a night, you know? Wow. And it's like, and not that we got paid for them or anything, but you know, <laughs> well, that is, that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. We, we, we would joke about it. You know, we, we would get a, a check every couple of months and we're like, Oh, so we got like, we got like this 10, eight bucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got, I got 10 cents of gross, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever, yeah. however it worked out. But you know, Hey, you know what? And we didn't, I, I never made a million dollars in this business. Why well, I got paid in this business. I got paid royally in this business with yeah. experience and great memories and great friendships. So yeah, I didn't get paid for the BWO shirts, but Hey, you know what? I was on TV every week and eventually that got me noticed for WWE. So it kind of paid for itself. 
in a yeah. way, you know. So, uh, since you mentioned it, uh, tell me about that road to the the WWE. How did that uh, happen? Was it a phone call that they just happened to see something you did? Uh, Vince Russo, uh, he he had been watching ECW, and he ha- initially he had an idea for me to come to ECW. I mean, come to WWE. Uh, they were going to do a, a spoof of the Nitro Girls. Mm-hmm. And, and I was the parody guy in ECW and he called Paul and uh, Chris Candido. Hey, can we borrow the meanie for a show? We want to do a spoof on the Nitro Girls called the Raw Boy. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to come out to a dance routine. and had a, But the thing, funny thing is, Paul and Candido never mentioned it to me. So mm-hmm. I, I log on to uh, back then AOL when that was a thing. And yeah. I, You've got hey, mail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> were, you, were, you, were you the voice? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, I would life. love to have been. Maybe I could have made some residuals or something from that. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, and we all remember that. <laughs> so, so I log on to AOL and Al Snow pops up in my IMs, you know, before people snuck into DMs. He popped yeah. up in my IMs. He's like, where were you? I go, what are you talking about? He goes, dude, you were booked for Raw Monday. I was like, no. I was like, absolutely not. He's like, ah, son of a bitch. So he goes, he's like, yeah, you were on the lineup sheet. They had music for you. That, oh my god. Uh, so that could. Why did they just not? What, how did that not get mentioned to you? <laughs> it, well, Al Snow went. Al went back to Ventura. So look, he's like, look, Meany had no idea he was booked. And then, thank God, Ventruso was like, you know what? It, it was Paulie ribbing him, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, you know, you can have him. And then, like, not tell me to go. Uh-huh. So, thank God, you know, Al went to Ventruso. Ventruso was like, all right, there's no heat on me. And he, that was just, you know. Yeah, Paul that could have vented your, uh, any chance. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know? But uh, a couple months go by. I go, well, there's no, there's no choice. If they come knocking again, I'm, I, I have to go. You know, I, and and, and and most importantly, they, you know, everybody in this business goes, well, I paid my dues. Mm. Well, you know what? So, sometimes the family pays dues, and my family is paying enough dues that you know, I started making some money in ECW, but still, there, you know, there was a, you know, my my grandparents, and my mom were helping me with my wrestling habit. So I was like, if this comes along, I got to take care of my family. And yeah. uh, I had come home uh, again. I was coming home from a show I did for Norm Connors. And there was a message on my uh, phone went back when there was answer machines. And Al Snow, hey, uh, give me a call. I got an idea for you. So I called him. He's like, how would you like to be in the job squad? I was like, I would love to be in the job squad. He's yeah. like, uh, are you under contract to Paul? I was like, no, no. He's like, all right, hang tight, you know. And then uh, next thing you know, Bruce Pritchard calls me. And he gets my all my uh, vital information, and he goes, all right, uh, we're doing TV next week at the Welsh. Well, it wasn't. A, it was the first Union Center at the time. Uh, we mm-hmm. we got early tape and be there at 10 a.m. I was like, all right. So I was like. And I, I literally stared at the phone for a second, hung up, mm-hmm. and then I walked 20 feet from my bedroom to the living room. I looked at my grandmom. I go, put all the, uh, you know what, uh, put all the bills in my name. And she mm-hmm. goes, why? She goes, uh, why? 
you know, I decided with the WWE and she, she, she almost went down. She grabbed it like a chair, her knees buckled. And my mom gasped, you know, she like put her hand like, really? I was like, yeah, I, I start Sunday and, and she did, she, she started crying. So, you know, you know, out of all the coolest things, you know, you do in wrestling business, being able to tell my, my uh, grandma who had been supporting me all that time and never mm-hmm. asked anything in return. I gave her the, the best last two years of her life because she passed like two years later. But yeah. it, that moment still resonates with me. So, uh, yeah, uh, just, you know, I, I showed up that Sunday and it's like a storybook. You know, I got the debut for ECW and WWE and I got the, I mean, I got the debut for ECW in my hometown. I got the debut for WWE in my hometown of Philadelphia. So it was the cool, it was, it was the coolest thing ever, man. It's storybook. <laughs> yeah. And at that time, I mean, we're talking, what was it? 98 that, uh, you know, the, the, uh, Monday night wars were in full swing and, uh, the WWE's, really starting to make that uh, that charge and um, so much going on. It was, must have been a really awesome time to to come into the WWE. Absolutely. Uh, as was explained to me, they were ramping up their TV. They had just started yeah. doing Sunday Night Heat, and they needed more. They needed, like, a, you know, in football, you need depth at, you know, on the roster. So I, I was adding depth to the, the roster. So I was doing Sunday Night Heat. I would do uh, Shotgun and I was doing Raw as well, but mm-hmm. man, the difference between being noticed for ECW and being noticed for WWE is like, yeah. oh my God, you, when you're getting, you're being followed around Walmart while you're just trying to buy some cereal or something <laughs> like that, you know, just, it, it was, it was surreal. And, and I mean, it was just the, uh, it, I, I used to joke, they're finally paying me back for all the money I spent with them. You know, it's just, a, yeah. <laughs> it was just a huge rebate check, you know, but, yeah. uh, it, it was a, it was, it was like, like a storybook, you know, it's just right place, right time. Uh, you know, when I, when I was, before I moved off to become a, a you know, just train with Al, I remember I was working at casinos. I was working at Trump Plaza and I remember my mom worked at one of the casinos as well. We're walking to go catch the bus to go to work. Mm-hmm. I remember the exact corner we stopped on. I was like, you know what? In two weeks, I'm, I'm going in. I'm, I'm giving my notice tonight, and I'm leaving for the rest of school in two weeks. And from that moment until I signed with WWE, and then I got the debut for WWE, it was just like having in- instincts to know when to do something. You know, right place, right time, and just dumb luck sometimes. But you know, uh, it, it was it's really a dream come true. I, you know. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I can ima- I can imagine what it was like. Also, I mean, you get to that level, which is you know that's what you work for, and yeah. then you're around these superstars, uh, Steve Austin and and uh, The Rock and and Shawn yeah. Michaels and all these guys that are there. Uh, that you got to look around and go, boy, I I'm here, but man, is am I really? You know, pinching yourself. Well, the, I always tell people it was hard. It's hard to get to the WWE. It's even harder to stay there because the, oh, yeah. uh, there, was, mm-hmm. there was so much talent there. And the competition. And, oh my God. You know, the, the competition in the locker room and in the ring, you know, cause everybody wanted that, you know, the, the TV time. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
uh, wrestling was the hottest thing at the, you, you didn't have to be a closet fan anymore because everybody's a fan, fan out, out front, you know, yeah. and, you know, uh, and they, the, the cool thing is like, you got to see some, you know, some of the wrestlers up there develop, you know, like edge and Christian and the Hardys and, you know, the Hardys went, you know, from, you know, being the enhancement guys to, they gave them the break to be, you know, this tag team, that, this legendary tag team that they would grow into be. And Andrew Christian would grow into be this legendary tag team as well and stuff like that. And it was just, you know, it was like the Haley's, that whole moment of wrestling was like the Haley's comment of professional wrestling because it was, it was a short period of time. But people keep talking about it until this day. Here we are, like 20 years removed yeah. from when I debuted for WWE. And, Man, we're we're still talking about you know that era, and people yeah. still can't for ECW, and people still want the Attitude Era to come back and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, you know, there, there, there's so much you could do, and the, I, I in, in a lot of ways, I think I went to the WWE. You know, I mean, I, I'm not mad that I went there, but I I was definitely still a little bit green, you know. To uh, you know, you hear about guys working, you know. 20 years and finally get to the WWE. I was like maybe in the business four or five years and mm-hmm. I, I done all this good stuff in ECW, but then you get up there and it's a whole new world where you, you, fi- you start to realize there's politics and wrestling and stuff like that. Yeah. And you know, like I'm, you talk about how I almost lost my job by, uh, or I almost lost my opportunity by, you know, Paul not telling, you know, WWE or tell me to go to the raw and they do the raw boy is like, my first weekend in, you know, uh, I debuted at Philly and then we did Raw and, and Baltimore. And then we were going to go from Baltimore up to Hartford, Connecticut. So being an indie guy, I'm like, okay, so I'll, I'll wrestle Philly. I'll wrestle Baltimore and I'll just drive from Baltimore all the way up to Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And then Earl Hebner goes, no stupid. We fly you. <laughs> so, he, he booked it. He booked a flight for me. Well, he didn't say call me stupid, but no, yeah. we fly in here. So the next morning in Baltimore, we go to, to go to the airport and we're going to fly up to Connecticut. And uh, you know, I get my airline ticket. I'm like, huh, one A. I look at the ticket. I go, that's oh weird. boy. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I go, that's like near the front of the plane, right? And that goes, yep. And I was like, ah. Huh. So I get on the plane. I'm thinking I'm like the row behind first class no i was in first class they gave me a first class ticket mm. and i froze i didn't know what to do you know and i was, I was like I, I i'm sitting there i'm sitting there it's me <laughs> big boss man sean mm. michaels and somebody else and i'm sitting there i'm I, i'm i'm crouched next to the window like hopefully like nobody looks over and mm-hmm. sees. now before you got on that plane though brian were you, did you not even think Okay, this this could not be good for me if <laughs> I'm up front and there is yep. somebody who might have been here a little longer than me. <laughs> I I, w- I was frozen like a deer in a headlight. Oh God! In ECW, I didn't, never even really flew either. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. oh, you know, you get on the plane, you you fly, you get there, whatever. So I'm sitting there and I look up and Mick Foley gets on the plane and he just looks at me, and goes, "Oh, meanie." Oh no! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, go, I go, Mick! No, no, Mick! 
Please take, take this. Here, you take this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, we, we landed, long story short, we, uh, uh, we landed in Connecticut and everybody's giving me the eyeball. Oh, Jesus. So I'm riding with Al Snow. I'm riding with Mick and Bob Holly. And the whole thing, the whole time, they're like, you're, they're cool. And I'm like a, a ball of nerves. I was like, Correct, guys, yeah. I, I, we got, guys, nobody's going to poop in my bag, are they? <laughs> and they're like, and Bob Holly goes, I don't think they poop in bags anymore. But. Uh-huh. So, like, I was such a ner- nervous ball of, you know, this energy that, yeah. like, uh, I get called. Somebody comes up to me, hey, uh, Meanie, come with me. I go in the room, and it was me, uh, Bob Holly, uh, Gerald Briscoe was there, Jack Lanza. They're like, yeah. look, we, we know you're new to this company, and we know uh, th- this won't happen again. I was like, absolutely. And then Bob Holly st- spoke up for me. It was like. Yeah, he 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 was very apologetic. He, he was you know you know scared to death, you know all this stuff. So flash forward later, like I you know two thousand five, I go back for a short time, and we're all leaving from Sacramento to go home. From there was a SmackDown Raw double show the the, the night I wrestled JBL, mm-hmm. and we're flying back from Sacramento. And I think we got a, a a layover in Chicago, and then from Chicago, everybody goes their separate ways. So I get my plane ticket. I go, oh, this is this is happening again. I had a, another first class ticket, so mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. So that time, I, that time I knew. I went up to everybody. I was like, hey, uh, Tony Gray, how would you like to sit in first class? No, nah, me, I'm good. Hey, uh, Ricky Steamboat, you want to sit in first class? No, nah, I'm good. No, you want to sit in first class? <laughs> I was yeah. like begging people. Please. I eventually, please take this ticket off me. So yeah. eventually. Yeah. Somebody took the ticket. I learned that lesson that, you know, somebody took the ticket that time and then the, the second time around. And but once I took it, you know, the second leg, I, you know, set up first class where nobody could see me. But you know, you just one of those little things you, you learn. You you make a mistake and, yeah. and learn. From you them. learn from it. Uh, so what what was though? You mentioned that there there was an an order of things. You you you've talked a lot about etiquette and respect, which uh, you obviously had throughout your career. Uh, but what was that locker room like? Now this is where this is still uh, kind of kind of old school days. There, there's still uh, you know the, the boys take care of how things are in order. Um, right. And and what was it like back then? Was it as uh, was it really brutal at that point? Uh, how, how what was that atmosphere like during that period? Uh, it was intense because you know it, you know the more you're on TV, the more money you make, or the more pay-per-views on you, the more money you make, or the more house shows you're on, you're, the more money you make. So you're doing whatever you can. And then, but like, if somebody didn't like fit in, I could see where, you know, it's like, oh, this guy's not going to last, you know, mm-hmm. or you see somebody, you know, take a padlock and padlock somebody's bag to their chair, <laughs> or, uh, somebody would come in for a single shot and, uh, you, you see somebody's bag, you know, get put up on top of a, a heating vent, you know, where they can't reach it or stuff, stuff like that. But, mm. you know, it's just, you know, and I had my, my own issues, but, you know, it just, um, yeah, when it came to my issues, I, I basically, you know, no sold them because I knew I had a family to support. And, mm. uh, you know, I, I had, you know, you know, a mom and grandma to take care of. So, but, you know, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, you know, the guys took care of each other or they would, you know, you know, you would see, uh, you know, guys going to ring and, you know, see if they could last. I remember 
when the the public enemy came in from WCW. Like if you came over from the, uh, the opposite company, you're automatically tested. If you came in from ECW or WWE, I mean ECW or WCW, you're you're tested. And uh, I guess there was a moment where I guess the public enemy just rubbed people the wrong way, and that's when they had the, the acolytes go out there and just you know destroy Take care them. of business. Yeah, yeah, and it, was, it was a shame. I was in uh, Pittsburgh, and mm. uh, I just you know, I remember like watching. I was like, oh man, that's that was brutal. But uh, you know. But then again, you know, I also had guys looking out for me too, like a Bob Holly and a Mick Foley and Al Snow will go, Hey man, uh, why, you know, just like, you know, I was coming up to ECW, you know, next time do this or that, this or that, you know? So, but yeah, some guys actually, you know, reached out to me and helped me and stuff like that too. You mentioned about, you know, no selling and, and in many cases that is the, the best road to take. Because, uh, you know, if that's going to go on, if they get a reaction, then you're going to get more of it. But is, was there a point uh, specifically during that time where you had to say, okay, you know, you're not going to get away with that? No, I, w- I, would, I would just talk to people and, you know, just like, you know, I, like the one, one of the best lessons I learned in wrestling also was save, save the conversation for the car. You know, mm-hmm. you know I got some- Say, but save it for the car because if it leaks out, you know who said it. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, so I'd had many car rides with Al Snow or Bob Polly. I'd be like, hey man, you know, this is happening and that's happening. They're like, look, just no sell it. You'll get through it, and you know, and eventually I did. You know, like when I first came in, you know, we we, we uh, worked did a loop with the acolytes, and and uh, it was a little rough. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I, I guess they were, yeah. yeah, but then eventually I went on to, you know, I, once I got through that wave of, <laughs> of testing, yeah, you know, right. I, I, went, I went on to, uh, work with gold dust, which was right. like awesome. I got to like, uh, I was floundering because, you know, I'd been in the job squad yeah. and the job squad was being disbanded. So I was like, man, I got to do something. And uh, I, I was doing the commentary for Al Snow Wrestling, and then Goldust came out and stole Al Snow's head. And that's when a light bulb went off in my head. I was like, I went up to Venture Russo. I was like, hey, man, uh, you know, in ECW, I did this character, Blue Dust, where I parodied, you know, yeah, Goldust. Goldust. Yeah. Why don't I bring it back where Goldust is the one playing mind games? What if I brought in Blue Dust to play mind games with the guy who plays mind games to get Al Snow's head back? And he, he smiled and we went with it and we start doing the thing where, you know, I start messing with Goldust and yeah. eventually that morphed into me and Goldust teaming up and, uh, having, having a run as a team. And that was a, an awesome experience as well as, you know, getting to, you know, be around Dustin and learn from Dustin as well. And he, he's just a natural character anyway, you know, a lovable guy. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I rode that until, uh, Eventually, they uh, sent me down to Memphis to try to, you know, work on something new, like put on a fresh coat of paint and, uh, you know, try a couple of a new a new character. But you know, being up in the main roster for that while, you know, I mean, it, it was a, it was a it was a a fun ride. Uh, it was a roller coaster of emotions, but overall, it was a fun ride. Yeah. So you you mentioned the the acolytes and boy, they 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 just destroyed people and. Um... Uh, you know, of course, the the incident that people still remember was that uh, 
the uh, the one night stand, the ECW one night yeah. stand when with JBL. Did did you did, did you have heat with him? Is that where that early on that came from, or was it something else that uh, that happened? It's like I said when I got up there, you know, they, I got tested, you know, with the acolytes and stuff yeah. like that. And there's, you know, things done in the ring and things said behind the scenes that you know I would just brush off and no sell, no no sell, you know. Because, you know, at the end of the day, I had a family to support and bills to pay. And I wasn't mm-hmm. going to do anything. I wasn't going to do anything stupid to cost me my job. So, yeah. uh, you know, once I once I left the WWE, I got my release. And I just said, uh, I did an interview. Uh, and uh, I said, like, you know, my time at WWE was awesome. But, you know, I said, you know, JBL was a bully. You know, mm-hmm. when, when he was Bradshaw, you know, back then he was Bradshaw. Uh, and that caught wind, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and you know how wrestlers are, you know, I, I just said sim- something simple as I thought he was a bully mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you know, the telephone game where you call somebody and they have to tell somebody else the thing you told them by time it, it gets just keeps getting added. built up. Yeah. More and more. Oh, I'm sure people added their own like mm-hmm. spice in there and stuff like that. So I'm sure by the time it got back to him. I, they said something, they said, I said something far worse. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how long he, you know, had this thought in his mind that I said, whatever they told him, I said, but then, uh, we get to the one night stand pay-per-view and everything was fine that day. You know, we, uh, showed up. I even saw John. I was like, Hey man, how you doing? You know, mm-hmm. Hey Brian, how, Hey Meanie, how you doing? And, uh, we sat next to each other at, you know, in catering just, you know, Everything just seemed fine. And we did a run through of that big schmaz at the end where it's ECW versus WWE and all that stuff. And, you know, so that the, 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 the time comes to uh, do the schmaz on the pay-per-view where it's ECW versus WWE. And it's going to be, be this big brawl. And, you know, I'm just casually, uh, we're like looking at each other like, yeah, come on, I'm going to kick your butt, do this, all that stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at everybody going down the line. I'm going to kick your butt. I looked at John. I went, yeah, I'll, I'll kick your butt too or whatever. I forget what I said. But like he just like stopped and like looked at me. And I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was a matador with a red sweater on. And he was a little, <laughs> yeah. you know? I was like, uh-huh. oh, well, well. But like prior to that, I, I went up to uh, uh, one of the Basham brothers. I was like, hey, man, let's partner up. Let's, you know spar around you know who knows if we're going to get to do a chance to do this again so the melee breaks out i find i, I think it's danny basham doug or danny and we're doing our thing and then i just feel like a, a punch in the back of my head and uh the two nights before there was another ecw reunion where jeremy borash where i got hard weighed with a, a ladder by the sandman so i had like eight staples in the back of my head don't you know I get punched right where the staples are. <laughs> so I grab my head, turn around and there's, there's uh, Bradshaw JBL. And he starts throwing live rounds. And to the point where like he does the hockey thing, he puts the shirt over my face and, you know, starts swinging. I was like, well, I'm not going to stand and take it. So I, the best way to kill somebody's, you know, punching powers to get in close and grab a headlock. And I start, you know, throwing blows and, and then we, 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 split up and like all these guys are coming over and looking at me cause I'm obviously busted open. Like mm. you know, Tracy Smothers, Tracy Smothers looks at me. Chris Benoit comes over at me thinking I blade. I was like, no, you know, 
I was like, he shot on me. Yeah, everybody coming up, everybody who came up to me, I was like, dude, he just shot on me. So like, you know, you see, uh, you know, somebody put a kendo stick around JBL's neck and Tracy's mothers came over and gave him a couple shots, but we get to the back and John, John Lauren Ice comes up to me. He goes, Hey, what's who told you you could blade? I was like, I did blade. I was like, JBL just shot on me. He's like, what? So in like that short period of time, I gave him the, the, the cliff notes of, you know, everything, our history. I was like, dude, he's never liked me. I don't know why he never liked me. And he just shot on me in a ring. He's like, well, that's unacceptable. So we go further into the gorilla position, you know, and uh, I look to the right. You know, like there, it's like there's one hall straight. You get, and when you get there, you can either go right, you go left. I look to the right, and there's Bradshaw. Goes, you talked about me on the internet and all this stuff. And I was like, dude, come on. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and so they, 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 somebody pushed him back, and they went and got me stitched up, and. Um, uh, you know, I went about my way. I, I talked about it on the internet. You know, I, I had a website at the time and I had a blog and I just, I vented, you know, I was like, you know, we're, we're, we get in the ring and, you know, we're supposed to, you know, protect each other, you know, you know, there's a code, you know, you know, it's, you know, I, I'm putting my body, I put my face out there or whatever. And, you know, you shoot on me like that, but I, it picked up enough steam to where WWE thought it, it there's like some buzz to it. So, a month later, like uh, Tommy Dreamer, who's in uh, talent relations, calls me up and goes, "Hey, Meany, uh, we want to bring you in. This has nothing to do with JBL." I was like, "You sure?" Mm. He's, like, he's like, "Yeah, we want to bring the Blue World Order back." Uh, Stevie's going from Velo- uh, from Velocity to SmackDown, and you know, SmackDown's colors are blue and white. He could come back with the BWO for a little bit. It might be a little run. Nothing guaranteed. Which it was true because that's what no, uh, Mike Bucci, aka Nova, said to me today at One Night Stand because uh, he had pitched it. He's like, mm-hmm. I don't think Meanie. I think he's like, I don't think Meanie would be opposed to it. So let's do it. So Dreamer calls me. He goes, Yeah, we're bringing you back, bringing the BWO back for a little run with the uh, the Mexicals. All right. Mm-hmm. So I go. I get there. I fly from Philly to Sacramento. I get to TV and. Uh, Johnny Ace sees me, pulls me aside. He goes, Hey, uh, you're working Bradshaw tonight. I was like, Oh, come on, man. That's <laughs> like, Tommy said this wasn't about Bradshaw. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, Oh, yeah, you're going to hit him with the moonsault, pin him one, two, three. I was like, I, uh, What? what? I, I, had him re- I had him repeat it. He's like, I was like, Does John know this? He's like, Oh, yeah. He's, a, he's, he's on board for it. So uh-huh. I, was like, I was like, Oh, man, this is a setup. I was like, This is such a setup. And uh, at that point, like Triple H looked at, at seeing me walking around, just like with this look on my face, like, oh man. He's like, you all right, man? I was like, I don't know, man. They, they said I'm working with John. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. It doesn't feel right. So he pulled me aside and we went into Vince McMahon's office. And uh, Vince was just finishing up his, his lunch or whatever, and he's watching the promos for uh, Hogan knows best, which was about to air at the time. Mm-hmm. So I go, he goes, Oh, I mean, he uh, goes sit on the couch. So he goes sit on the couch and, uh, and it was me, John Laurinaitis, triple H and Vince. As I, as I, they told Vince, you know, I, I didn't feel comfortable and I explained everything. And Vince gave me his personal guarantee that, uh, you know, nothing like that would happen. I said, okay, thank you. 
So we're standing, I go back out and I'm standing around and then like JBL comes in and I'm like, Oh, oh man. Mm. So I, I like, I, like I said, I'm just standing there. I'm not selling anything. And it's like, his, his cowboy hat must've, might've been a, might've been a, like a dorsal fin. He was like jaws, you know, you know, the, the, the dorsal fin floating above the water, you know, that was his cowboy, that was his cowboy hat going past behind me. You know, yeah. I was like, yeah. I, I was bracing myself. You know, I didn't know what was coming, but nothing happened. So he comes up to me and later on, maybe a half hour later, he comes up to me, he goes, you want to go have a talk? I was like, all right, let's have a talk. So you've been to TV. So you've seen all the, yeah. you know, there, there's catering, the signage and all this mm-hmm. stuff. So we, we start, we walk off. The further we walk, the less signage I'm starting to see. I'm like, oh, like <laughs> the, the bowels of the arena. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> disappear. Like, I, yeah. It's like, if we walk into a room and there's plastic on the floor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be like a mob head. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thought you're getting made yeah right yeah no. yeah i'm uh, joe pesci yeah you're joe but, uh, pesci. <laughs> <laughs> but uh we go in the room and he goes hey man we can either fight or we can make money i was like well dude i've never wanted to fight i don't know what this is all about you know i i told him every single thing that happened between me and him and you know the, the attitude error was a crazy time and he, he yeah. said he didn't remember any of that and i you know, I took him as word, but you know, I, I told him, I was like, the shame of it is I was a big fan of yours, John, because, you know, you know, I love it. I liked your work when you were Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Cause you reminded me of, you reminded me of Stan, Stan Hansen, who's one of my favorite wrestlers. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we shook hands. He goes, Look, I'm happier here. Let's go make, make some money off this. I was like, all right. And, uh, we had our match and, uh, it got a little buzz because, you know, yeah. Even with chair shot and got him hard way. And like even Bradshaw was like, go on the internet and say that was, you know, the receipt and all this stuff. So mm-hmm. we were cool. And then, uh, you know, WWE didn't use me again for a while after, after we, we, I did a blow up. We did a blow off match BWO versus the Mexicals at the great American bash. And I was pretty much done, mm-hmm. but then, you know, flash forward, you know, maybe five years ago, I'm on Twitter. And then somebody goes, are my eyes deceiving me? Or it's, uh, you know, Brad JBL following the blue meanie on Twitter. And he goes, I love meanie. I think he's hysterical. You know, I was like, John, Hey, how you doing? So we became like Twitter buddies. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, a couple of years later, like a year or two later, he, he pitched me for the, uh, the Royal rumble in Philly, you know, to be a surprise in the, the Royal rumble. Yeah. So I was, I was a Philly guy and I had just done a DVD for WWE for, uh, about ECW and, what better way to promote the DVD than being the, uh, the Royal rumble. So it came down to me and Bubba Ray Dudley and they picked Bubba, which is cool. But you know, uh, something out of something that was so ugly became, you know, came this like cool friendship and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I'm happy we, we made men's because anytime you hold a grudge or a vendetta against somebody, it doesn't hurt the person that you're mad at. It just eats away at you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I could be, you know, and he, he apologized. I took him as word because, you know, again, those were crazy times. Yes. Uh, you know, and we've had, we had, uh, we've had, uh, uh, John on here before and, uh, you know, he talks about, you know, that was, the, that was a different time in wrestling and, and it was. And when I came in, like I said, uh, things were, it was the wild west. I mean, the, things were settled 
um, outside of the ring in in the back uh, backstage by the boys. There was no management to come in necessarily, and it was a different time. And they tested you, but a part of that was protecting the business too in their eyes. And uh, you know, it was a different time. And John admits that he said today, I don't you know doesn't fit in that world because of what it's become now. It's uh, but uh, I, I'm really I'm happy to hear that. I'm glad that. Uh, you guys are good, and uh, I really like John. I, I think that he he's doing, um, you know, awesome things. He's got uh, Beyond Rugby Bermuda is an organization that helps young yeah. people. He's uh, yeah. been very committed to that, and he's you know he's on the Fox Network. He has a, a financial expert now, uh, and had Linda McMahon on a you know a few weeks ago. So it, it it's part of the business, and that's a day gone by, perhaps. But I think a lot of people, you know, who came from that era miss it in some sense because. It was. You knew where you were all the time. I mean, you yeah. didn't, there was nothing, uh, you know, necessarily going on. But as far as guys, they'd go nose to nose and say, this is the problem I have. Yeah, especially now nowadays with uh, social media, if word gets out about that. And then, you know, you know, social media explodes and stuff like that. And, yeah. you know, it, it only not only affects you, you know, in the ring, but, you know, outside the ring as well. So like everybody seems like everybody knows everything nowadays, you know, with the internet, but yeah, John's a great guy. Yeah. He, uh, he was doing the mountain. He was climbing, you know, the mountains and stuff like that for the Bermuda, the kids in Bermuda and stuff like yeah. that, raising money for that. You know, he, he does a lot of ch- good charity work that a lot of people don't even know about. So yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm a happy, you know, that's behind us. And the funny thing is like, we've been friendly for like over 10 years now and people, you know, people on the internet will still try to throw that in our faces. Like, yeah. like we, like we haven't made up, like, it's like, we've, we've, we've gotten past it, but yeah. you know, like people are like, Oh, remember that time JBL beat you up? Ha ha ha. I was like, yeah, we're friends, yeah. buddy. We're just yeah. cool. You know? But you know, you know, that I'm, I'm glad we're past it. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. And you know, uh, it, it's all part of of the history of of what's made professional wrestling what it is. I mean, it is. Yeah. It's uh, uh, and I think in some ways that's that it, there are certainly ugly parts of it, but it it made uh, the business what it is. And yeah, uh, yeah. And JBL is uh, definitely one of those. He's, he's a great guy. I mean, I I really enjoy talking to him and have gotten to know him a little bit. But uh, yeah, I'm glad you're good. I think that's uh, that that's the best part of all this. Uh, before and just think it's kind of random out there, but I know there was like a period of time where you were, yeah, you, you had a character that was a blue boy and you lost like a hundred pounds. Uh, how did that, how much? A hundred, 160 pounds. <laughs> so how did that come about? How did you do it? And, uh, <laughs> it was short lived. Yeah. Uh, well, I was in WWE. There was a, a moment where they had, they came up to me and they, they released me. Uh, it was like the week after WrestleMania 15 and we were in Michigan. We were in like Kalamazoo, Michigan or something. And JR and Bruce Pritchard came up and said, Hey man, we gotta let you go. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, what? I was floored. Cause like, I, I thought I was doing good. I, you know, all the feedback was good. And you know, you know, JR was like, uh, you know, you know, maybe, Go back, throw in a fresh coat of paint, come back to us, see uh, maybe we could do something down in the future. I was like, all right. But the weird thing is they released me, but I was still doing shots. I was still working shows, you know? Mm-hmm. 
they were still giving me plane tickets. I was like, all right, well, maybe they'll forget about it. But, <laughs> but, uh, it got to the point where I got, I was home and, uh, well, word had broken on the internet that I had been released. And then mm-hmm. there was this, there was a fan movement called save the meanie. And it, it was basically started, it was basically started by uh, a group of people who had done a, a fan group for ECW called strictly ECW. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a, they started a campaign, save the meanie. And there was an email campaign. People were calling the WWE offices and stuff like that. And JR called and said, Hey man, uh, looks like uh, you got to repeat. He said, you got to reprieve. You got to reprieve from the warden. Uh, we're, we're going to keep you on where you were, you were going to, you know, bring you back, even though mm-hmm. technically I had never left. I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much. So, uh, I was doing a show and Kevin Kelly goes, Hey, uh, you want to come on, uh, WWE bike this for an interview? Uh, and I go, sure. So I call in and he goes, so, uh, I guess you're going to lose weight now. I went, Oh, this is what this is about. <laughs> I was like, this whole thing is, you know, they released me and they, you know, they brought me back, but it was all about, Hey man, why don't you lose, you know, lose some weight. And I was like, all right. So I'll lose some weight. So, uh, headbanger, uh, Masha's brother, uh, John Warren, Chad, uh, Masha's Chaz Warren, his brother, John was a, a nutritionist. So I started going to him. He, he lived right over the bridge in New Jersey for me. And I would go to him once a week and I would start, you know, taking supplements and dieting and within about, you know, six to seven months, I, I lost a good hundred, 150 160 pounds and uh, they're like, all right, you're losing weight. Go down to Memphis. Let's try a new character. So I went down to Memphis and uh, I was trying to think of something new to do. Maybe uh, like the, at the time the big movie was swingers. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the guys were in the bowling shirts and the hair slicked out. I was like, I could do something like that. And uh, they eventually, you know, while I was down in Memphis, my grandmom got sick with a pancreatic cancer. So I was like, Hey, uh, you know, I, I need to go see my grandma. She's not going to you know, be around much longer. So I went back home and, and that, and that time I was home, they, you know, gave me a, another release and I was done. So I started doing Indies as the blue meanie and all these promoters were getting complaints because I had lost so much weight. I didn't look like the blue meanie anymore. Yeah, yeah, you lost that character. Literally. Yeah. I lost, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I lost the Backstreet Boy. That I, I, they they got the way 160 yeah. pounds, right? Yeah. Yeah. I lost, yeah, I, lo- I lost a small boy band member. Yeah, um, yeah, right. So I was like, oh man, I, I got, well, eventually these WWE checks are going to run out because, you know, they take care of you for the rest of your remainder of your contract. Mm-hmm. I, I got to do indie, so. I had to put some, I was like, I, I, I put some of the weight back on <laughs> and, you know, I went, eventually went back to ECW and we had to run with the blue boy character, but then ECW closed. Mm-hmm. And, and I, 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 I was like, I know where my bread was buttered. My right. Bread you was, got right. Exactly. It was the blue meanie. I, I buttered my butter, but I brought it. I buttered my bread and then I ate it. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it, right? Yeah. So you I had, had to get back into that belly shirt. Yeah, man, I'd get back. To the, <laughs> those Daisy Dukes were too loose. You know, <laughs> I half shirt my Daisy Duke. So, and, but then flash forward to the uh, and, and there's a period of time between where I got released 
and the one night stand one one night stand incident. I, I call those like my dark years because I I really was in a bad place mentally and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I was I was depressed. You know, mm-hmm. I just lost my grandmom, yeah. and uh, I was struggling. You know, I still support my mom, and uh, and other, like I could tell people in, in, a, in a twisted way that the one night stand incident kind of brought me out of that haze that funk because it brought me back out in the forefront and you know i you know i i, I was humiliated but out of that you know i i matured and mm-hmm. I, I i learned how to deal with like a humiliating incident and you know you know get past you know animosity mm-hmm. you know the stuff we had with you know john and like i started you know getting more work you know i mean it, it sucks that we had to go through uh, a bad incident. Like they say, they appreciate the sweet. You have to taste them sour, you know, between yeah. that time, that was a very sour time. But afterwards, you know, I, I'm in a very good place now mentally. Uh, I'm, I'm in a great relationship now with uh, Mrs. Meany. And, you know, I'm, I try, I try to help all these uh, younger kids. Like I, I help coach over the monster factory every now and then, you know, when uh, life permits, but yeah. uh, I, I'm, I'm in a good place now. So, That's you know, great. Yeah, I, I wish I could go back and lose some of that weight, you know, but, uh, you know, because it's starting to catch up at age 45. It's starting to catch up with me. But, uh, you know, eventually I will get back to that. But uh, yeah. I'm in a, good, a very good place right now. You know, you mentioned the Monster Factory. You talk about full circle and um, uh, and Scott uh, Levy and and uh, and now you, you know, your association with Monster Factory. Well, uh, quick story. And I have mentioned this before, but um Way back when, one of my first jobs, I worked for Major League Baseball production, and they had done this this blooper show. Joe Namath hosted it, and I was I was the correspondent. And one of the stories we did is we went out and wanted to go to a wrestling school, and I was the idiot who would go and then get the stew beat out of him. And uh, <laughs> you know, and really, that was the story. So we went, we hooked up with Larry Sharp uh, and set up the shoot there. And did this uh, story on light moments of sports. Well, that led me actually to the WWF. They saw that story I did, and that connection was made, and that l- launched my career into the world of professional wrestling. Well, uh, going back, and and somebody had found this and put it up on YouTube. It was on YouTube, and uh, yeah, and I. So anyway, I looked back at it, and I was go- I was going to interview Raven. I was going to interview Scott. And for some reason, I this it, it, Scotty the body just kept ringing in my head, and I knew that was one of his first gimmicks. So I looked at this thing and I said, "Was that him?" Well, he appeared in this story with me. When at the end of it, you know, I did kind of these mock interviews with a couple of the guys, yeah. and got it tur- turns out it was Scott. And, and so I'm going, "It's got to be him." So when we started our interview, if you ever go back and listen to the podcast with with Scott. I, it's one of the first things I ask him, and there's this big long pause, and he goes, "I remember that," and it was <laughs> before both of us uh, were doing anything. He was at that school as a student, and I was this idiot, you know, doing this uh, this piece. And, uh, and it, isn't it amazing, like how that all ended up, and we're just like, both of us like, "Wow, <laughs> like how crazy is that?" <laughs> That's the beauty of uh, professional yeah. wrestling, you yeah. know. Just yeah, it's a small world. It really is. It's a large world, but it's yet so small that like, 
you know, we all come together and, uh, it's just, it's cool how everything works out. Like, you know, you did the thing with Scott and, you know, yeah. like later on I would run into Scott and he helped launch my career with ECW and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, the monster factory and, and Raven and you and, and me, we, we, we all have this one connection. It's like six degrees of separation. It, it really is. It's just amazing. Well, uh, I tell you, Brian, it's it's been great. Uh, I I got the chance to meet you for the first time. We were both at uh, Starcast, yeah, and uh, you know, just really, really enjoyed meeting. You. I wish we would have had more time to talk, but you've had a really a, a fascinating career, and you know, and you're an example. You, you found a way, and, and you found yeah. a, a gimmick. You found a, a character that people just really identified with, and I, I think that that's. I don't know if you've ever given much thought to it. But I think in a lot of ways, you know, that's why the audience identified with you because uh, in a lot, you were kind of like one of them and, and you were, you were fighting yeah. the fight. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, one of my favorite baseball teams of all time is the 93 Phillies and they never won the world. They almost won the world series, but they never yeah. won the world series, but they had so much character that to this day, they're the most, you know, loved team in Philadelphia sports. And yeah. I, I think the way I connected with the fans was that I was a fan and I think it, it, it showed it came through and even like, you know, my character got away with so much stuff that even if I made a mistake, I would like look at the crowd and go, ah, oh, well, I effed up and they would go, ah, that's just meanie, yeah. you know? So I consider myself like the Philly fanatic of pro- professional wrestling, <laughs> you know, where I'm just, I love that you know, analogy. Yeah. Yeah. I was just the uh, comic relief in between the, uh, the, the mayhem. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. How can folks get in touch with you? I, I know you're uh, you're on Twitter and g- give us your your handles and how folks can uh, can reach you. You can follow me on Twitter at Blue Meanie BWO. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at Blue Meanie BWO. Uh, if you want to support the Meanie, uh, you could buy some of those lovely BWO shirts I never got paid for at <laughs> prowrestlingtees.com/slash/bluemeanie. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, there's the BW shirts and there's a lot of shirts I designed myself as well. So, uh, if you want to, you know, check me out there, uh, I also, uh, you know, ch- follow my feeds. I'm also, I'm doing shows, I'm doing seminars and all that good stuff. So, uh, follow me on social media. Yeah. And folks, you know, he's, he's out there doing a lot of shows. So, uh, you know, watch out. He may be in your town, but, uh, Brian, it's, it's been great. And I, I hope I see you soon. Likewise, man. Like I said, this has been a, a bucket list moment, and uh, I've always been a fan of you, and uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm flattered that you had me on.